the Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. We thank you so much for joining us for this episode of our podcast. We wanted to talk today about oneism, and that might sound like a weird word. It is a weird word. It is a weird word. It's only been around, what, 10, 12 years? I don't know. I uh, heard about this from Peter Jones. He coined it. A Presbyterian minister. Uh, He coined this term to identify the worldview that is increasingly present in America. And I think he sold me on uh, this idea of a way that we can think about what's going on around us. He speaks of the Christian faith as twoism. It's twoist. There is a creator and there is the created. And these things are distinct. God is holy, set apart from us. Um, the worldview of oneism, or perhaps religion of oneism, is that all is one. There are not these distinctions. So I think of like pantheism, paganism, um, but a way of viewing everything as one. Yeah. He uh, put this in a book, one or two, seeing a world of difference. Uh, I think it's where he, he set it forth most clearly. I've not read that book, but he's been talking about it a long time. You know, I heard a lecture years ago that he gave on this and had an opportunity to talk to him afterwards, and it was fascinating. It is a simple way to think about mm-hmm. some very complicated realities. So if mm-hmm. we can reduce down what's going on in all of the neo-paganism of our day, of the um, the influence of Eastern mysticism and such, it, it really can be seen in uh, a simple way, but a way that is not overly simplistic so that it denies realities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people worship the creature rather than the creator. That's the bottom line. Yeah, some of the kind of popular language that has appeared he points out like non-binary. You hear that language a lot. This is non-binary. And it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, this is what's going on. There's a, this is a oneist kind of idea. Or even the word discriminate. You know, is that a positive word or a negative word? What's yeah. a negative word? In our day, it's the way we think. Well, God is discriminating, isn't he? He made heaven and earth. He made male and female. He made the sun and he made the moon and uh, he distinguishes between these things so the the text really is romans 1 um, where we hear that these people did not worship god though what could be known about god is made plain to them and they didn't just not worship god but they turned to serve and worship the creature rather than the creator and that's what's going on in oneism. If all is one, well, then uh, this one is God. That that which has been made is is the one in this worldview, and that turns into this very uh, pantheistic pagan system where um, we're all worshiping each other or worshiping the self. So this seems to be a very predominant worldview, then it's going to have um, epistemological realities. How do we know the truth? Well, if we're all one, you know, we kind of, this new age way of thinking, uh, I discover truth, I got my truth, you know, you can have your truth, but we kind of need to have the same truth because we're one, but then there's some tension there when we might have different truths and we try to find some way to um, resolve that tension. Why is this important for us to think about, Tom? 
Because this is the way the world is. There is a God who created the world. There is God, and then there's everything else. So that's what Peter Jones means by twoism. So we have to think in terms of those two realities, the ultimate reality, God, and then the reality that comes from God that we uh, experience in our everyday life and creation and otherwise. So if we don't have this two-world view or this uh, two point of reality view, God, and everything else, then we'll, we'll be left with just everything else, what we perceive, what we experience with our senses, and we will inevitably worship the creature rather than the creator. So this is the way the world is, and this is reality. It's been revealed to us, and if we're going to live well in the world that is, we need to get our lives lined up with reality. Mm-hmm. I, I can't help but read the androgyny that is increasingly present in our culture in light of this oneism, this um, transgenderism, uh, all different ways of approaching our sexuality. It seems to be a, a blending. So we're, we want um, men and women to be the same in all ways and um, we don't like this distinction between identifying this as a man, this as a woman. It certainly seems like uh, what's going on in Romans 1 is people turn to worship the creature rather than the creator. So I think this is very important for Christians when it comes to proclamation of the gospel, engagement in this world. If I think many believers think of unbelievers in America as uh, the nuns, as non-religious. You know, Christians are committed to uh, worshiping God, and then unbelievers are kind of, they don't have their mind made up. They're kind of indifferent toward religion. They're indifferent toward worship. Um, But this oneism idea says, no, they're not indifferent. They're actually worshiping something. They are worshiping the creation. They might be doing that in different ways, but they are very much committed. They are very much worshiping. And Christians need to know that. When you go to speak truth to somebody, when you go to proclaim the gospel, to them, you want to know uh, what their real commitments are and not be confused as if they're just some kind of blank sheet. Yeah, this is uh, helpful because we can be taken off guard if we're not thinking in these terms, that what we are doing when we talk to people that in previous generations might have been regarded as just merely secular, uh, That when, but in reality what we're doing is talking to people who are pagan. They have a belief system, and their belief system is based upon unreality. It's based upon something other than what God has said is true. Uh, What Peter Jones has done is he's identified five aspects of oneism. Let me just go over them quickly. That all is one and one is all. That all humanity is one. All religions are one. That there's one problem, and that is that we've forgotten that we're one. And there's one solution, which is look inside yourself for salvation. Mm. If you take those things and just start listening to movies, reading books with your antenna up to uh, to recognize them, you'll see this is permeating our society in the West um, deeply and broadly. Mm. This idea that it's inside of you where you're going to find your meaning and your salvation, your health, your, your welfare, because we're all part of this same organic exclusive reality, and there's nothing beyond us.
Well, for the book portion of our podcast today, I want to introduce a book that has been incredibly helpful to me over the last few weeks. I I read it, I think, the first week of this year. It's called That Hideous Strength, How the West Was Lost. It's by Melvin Tinker, and the tagline is The Cancer of Cultural Marxism in the Church, the World, and the Gospel of Change. It has a 2018 publication date. It is by uh, Evangelical Press. I think it's their Christian Focus book. Is that right? Let me just check here. All right. And uh, Melvin Tinker is a Church of England minister. And so he's writing from that context in the UK where a lot of these issues are, they're no longer in doubt. They're no longer debatable. They're living with it. I mean, they're, Mm -hmm. they are ordaining and practicing homosexuality and condoning and celebrating homosexual unions. And these are just the realities of the Church of England. What Tinker does is to show how, um, C.S. Lewis, in his space trilogy, That Hideous Strength, drawing upon the Tower of Babel record in Genesis 11, actually helps us to understand what's going on in our culture that that he has, uh, Lewis has, recognized from Genesis 11 in a very creative way the destruction of foundations for Western civilization that we have had laid for us in generations past by a Christian worldview, by a biblical worldview. Mm. And so the idea of, uh, in Babel of boundaries, that when God created the heavens and the earth, he separated uh, light from darkness and sea from land. And in Babel, there's the attempt to overcome those boundaries, to bring God down to man, to, to basically be God and to make the true God subservient to ourselves. Well, Tinker shows that that paradigm becomes a, a, a very helpful way to think about what's going on today uh, in our world, that we are facing the challenge of what is rightly called neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism with its uh, postmodern way mm-hmm. of thinking. And it's come into our society, it's come into our churches, And what has happened is we are seeing the very truth that is revealed in the Scripture deconstructed, thrown away with this new view that really goes into what we talked about in the last section, the one-ism of here's the reality that we need to live Mm -hmm. with now. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating book. It's only about 100 pages, 110 pages. You can read it in one sitting. And uh, I am recommending this book far and wide. Yeah, this is uh, one that we are very, very much excited about, and it's easy to get through. Uh, Tinker just seems to be um, keen on a number of issues. I highlighted like six themes, six ideas in the back of this book. I just wrote them down in the back of the book because he's so good on them, really giving insight into what's going on. He, he gives a good definition of cultural Marxism. He cites one of its modern advocates, Sidney Hook. And uh, Hook says this in defining and describing cultural Marxism. It's a philosophy of human liberation. It seeks to overcome human alienation, to emancipate man from repressive social institutions, especially economic institutions, that frustrate his true nature and to bring him into harmony with himself, his fellow men, in the world around him so that he can overcome his estrangements and express his true essence through creative freedom. That was very helpful, just thinking about 
uh, cultural Marxism as a philosophy of human liberation and all of the understandings of um, oppression and kind of this this victimized uh, worldview that is upon us in so many different ways. Well, here's the savior, cultural Marxism. Here here's yeah. the solution. So once you can convince people that they that they are oppressed and and. Side note, of course there are people who are oppressed, and God's hate is when people are really oppressed, and because we're sinners, we all know that we felt oppressed when we're not really oppressed. I mean, who, you know, right, <laughs> we, right. we know this happens all the time. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> Somebody else gets gets more cookies than I do at dinner at my house, and I'm feeling like I'm oppressed, and I want to reach for the salvation of cultural Marxism, be liberated from my oppression. Um, but that definition was very helpful. Uh, he talks about hegemony. His his uh, explanation of hegemony was very helpful. How how ideas are propagated in the world, especially through culture and customs, um, movies, books, these kinds of things. One other thing I'd highlight in this book um, is uh, a C.S. Lewis quote that he talks about this this call for resistance. And Lewis points out that. Um, when the the world and the enemy is attacking the truth, say on our right flank, um, it's very easy to just talk about uh, the truth of the left flank, to open up Scripture and to teach in our churches uh, things that are not offensive to the world, uh, that um, that are going to make everybody uh, feel great. You can do that, and you can be faithful to those scriptures, to that front that's not being attacked. But mm-hmm. Lewis says, if you're doing that, you're compromising. If you're doing that, you're not really fighting. It's those who are addressing the point that is being attacked, the point that's going to make the world very confused and say, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You know, the point that's going to get some Christians going, oh, no, I don't know if we should address that. Well, that's when you're really defending the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. And that's our job right now in this moment. Yeah, he, he speaks of a co- uh, courageous refutation that believers need to uh, engage in, and that is have our eyes wide open to see where the attacks are coming, and they're coming subtly, and they're coming under the guise of love and peace and harmony and goodwill for people. But if the agendas are accepted, then the very gospel of Jesus Christ will be destroyed because the way that God has ordered his world will be completely rejected, and the revelation that God's given us in Scripture will be completely rejected. So we've got to be courageous in refuting these ideas Hmm. and standing firm and saying, no, God has indeed spoken, and God says that he has created mankind male and female, period. And all of this this attempt that we uh, are seeing played on us right now to divide people into these categories of oppressed and oppressors. I mean, this is it's it's devastating to relationships, and it's devastating to seeing how the gospel works. I mean, Marx, Karl Marx did this economically. So you, you have the haves and the have-nots. Well, what the cultural Marxists did coming out of the Frankfurt School is looked at the Christian religion, they said Christianity is a big obstacle to that ever working. They saw the middle class never buying into the economic theory of Marx because it was doing well enough mm-hmm. that it wasn't going to try to overthrow the bourgeoisie and recognize we, what we've got to do is re- see people in terms not just of economic status, but mm-hmm. see them primarily in terms of oppressed and oppressive categories. And so 
who is most oppressed? Well, women are more oppressed than men because they don't have as many opportunities in this world as men. And minority races are more oppressed than majority races. And um, I think it was Eric Fromm, who was the psychologist that first uh, came up with the idea that sexuality is a social construct. And so those who are being forced to identify as either men or women, uh, when in reality they might like to identify as something completely different apart from what society has constructed for them, they are oppressed as well. And so today we're just seeing the fruit of all of this bad seed that was sown over the course of the 20th century in American institutions. And part of you know, Mao Zedong's approach in his uh, reign of terror in China was a slow march through the institutions. And that was taken up by this very school of thought. So one of the things Tinker points out in this book is that from 1850, I think it is, or no, 1860 to 1970, all the PhDs that were granted by universities in the world uh, from that 110-year period, half of them, over half of them were granted in the 1960s. And so you had this massive explosion of uh, higher education pursuit of these advanced academic degrees. And those guys who got their degrees in the 60s became what I think um, uh, has been called the, the tenured radicals in the 70s and 80s, taking this worldview and making it a part of uh, every discipline in the academic arena. Mm. One final thought on this book. It is so good. Uh, He talks about after the ball, how America will Mm. conquer its fear and hatred of gays in the 90s. And he's talking about the way that uh, people with agendas can move a society, how we are changed. And he says there's there's three levels to their approach. These these guys knew what they were doing. They planned. They said what they were going to do and then they did it and it's worked. Uh, The first is desensitization. So he says this is where um, pictures of homosexuality are out. They're going to be homosexuals will be taking on roles in the movies that we watch. It's just going to be before people's eyes, where it wasn't before and it was something that we were sensitive to, but now you desensitize people to it. Uh, but the second stage is jamming. And he says this is more active and aggressive than desensitization. Uh, this is where you're you're watching something as a family, you're watching a movie, and something comes on the screen that you know that 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 is wrong, that makes you feel uncomfortable, that uh, strikes at your conscience. Um, but especially in the in the moving picture, things go so quick, you know, it's not like you pause it and some people say, we're done with this, but others will just kind of, okay, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Well, you've been jammed, you know, somebody kind of backed you off of a point that you know was wrong and you're just being nudged, you know, incrementally down the way. And, and it works the other way too, doesn't it? So that the, something that is good that we would affirm is portrayed as a negative or evil way. So yeah. to um, um, to affirm marriage between one man and one woman is associated with the KKK, mm-hmm. you know, in some way. So you think, oh, God, you know, and you just you feel ashamed that you have a conviction that was the same as that KKK guy in the movie. Yeah. Or like, you know, like every Disney father that's ever been created is an absolute meathead, you know? So you have a meathead for your authority. Yeah. And where's salvation come? From inside you, little that's princess. Right. It comes right from you. You follow your heart. And that that goofball 
mean, oppressive authority will all come to see just how great the inner you always has been. So, yeah, uh, yeah this goes on, this jamming thing, and then conversion. So you win people over to a worldview, to a way of thinking, and the homosexuality thing, It's you win them over to be advocates for homosexuality. But just waking up to this kind of discipleship <laughs> program is, is fascinating when you see it. I, I remember being taught this by one of my philosophy professors uh, in seminary, but he said, you know, his friend said, man, after listening to you, I can't even go watch the movies anymore without always Good. thinking, what's going on? <laughs> We're like, well, yeah, well, that's the world we live in. So enjoy the movies, you know, but be aware of how uh, people shape a society. Buy this book. Get this book. Give it to your pastor. Give it to your pastor friends. Spread this book far and wide. It is helpful. In our third segment here, we like to consider God's commands, what he has revealed to us, how he would have us live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And over the last number of episodes, we have been looking at particular commandments found within the Ten Commandments as they appear before the Ten Commandments are given at Mount Sinai. And the argument goes, if they're existing before Exodus 20, then this is signaling that it's God's eternal moral law. What he's doing at Sinai is covenanting with Israel, promising them certain things uh, based upon their obedience to the Ten Commandments. But that doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments only exist in their covenantal form with Israel. It is God's eternal moral law. And we see the Eighth Commandment. That's what we're dealing with today. Um, Thou shalt not steal. Well, the question is, was that true that people shouldn't steal before Sinai? And the answer is yes. Uh, We see at least a couple examples of that. The first is in the garden when Adam and Eve took the fruit that didn't belong to them, the fruit that was not theirs to eat, that is stealing. And they suffered the consequences due to their sin. We see it also uh, when Rachel steals her father's household gods. This is Genesis 31. And uh, Jacob doesn't, you know, look at Laban and say, uh, hey, you know, no biggie. We don't know that this is wrong. We don't know that uh, we shouldn't be stealing. But no, he says that this is worthy of death. Whoever you find with your household gods will die. Now, he didn't know that Rachel had him. Nevertheless, Mm -hmm. this is a signal to us that thou shalt not steal was God's law for mankind uh, as those created in his image even before Exodus 20. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, you can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org. Founders.org.